Hi, I'm Howard Tierski. Welcome to the Winning Digital Customers Podcast, where we focus on the stories of large-scale digital transformations told by the people who lead them. Hey, everybody. Welcome back once again to the Winning Digital Customers Podcast. I have a new friend with me today that I'm so excited. When we first started speaking, we were on so much the same wavelength about everything we were talking about. I just couldn't wait to get her on the show and have her share just a small slice of the tremendous knowledge and wisdom she has. So uh, her name is Annette Franz. She is the CEO of a company called CX Journey. She's also the board chair of the Customer Experience Professionals Association. And the way I came to know her is through her awesome book, Customer Understanding, Three Ways to Put the Customer in Customer Experience and at the heart of your business. And man, I couldn't agree with that sentiment more. For those of you who follow this podcast or have read my book, you know that I'm all about the idea that focusing on the customer is the number one path to success in any business. And that's what Annette is all about as well. So I want to let her introduce herself. And then we've already chatted about some of the amazing things we can have her talk to you guys about. I'm sure it's going to be an amazing half hour together. But Annette, let me uh, welcome you. Thank you for being here. And anything else about your background that you want to share with listeners? Well, thank you for having me. First of all, I really appreciate it. And you're absolutely right. We are so much on the same page about all of this customer experience stuff. (laughs) We could probably have a conversation a lot longer than 30 minutes. But um, speaking of 30, that's about as long as I've been in this profession. Started back with J.D. Power and Associates in the early 90s. And it's been really interesting to watch this discipline evolve over the last almost 30 years. So that's where my ideas come from. That's where this concept that we'll be talking about today comes from. And I've really seen that evolution. I've been on the client side, I've been on the vendor side, and it's been quite the ride so far. So I'm looking forward to, gosh, another 30 years, who knows? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's funny, uh, around this time of year, for those listening, it's it's uh, nearly Thanksgiving, I realized you could be for all we know, you could be listening uh, two years from now to the podcast in from the future. But around this time of year, I always get calls from people who want comments for quotes and for articles and stuff on what's new for the new year, you know, what's going to be big in the next coming year, because I know people writing articles always want to say something like that for the new year. And whenever I hear those questions, just like you having been in this business for decades, I always think like, how about focusing on the customer finally? You know, instead of instead of chasing some supposedly brand new thing, how about we just focus on the things that we know work? Because I don't know about you, but I'm just continuously amazed at how far most companies still have to go to really embrace this basic idea, which is so proven around just what your title of your book is, that focusing and understanding your customer is the key to business success. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I hate doing trends and predictions and all of that because like you said, a lot of companies still really have to focus on the basics and that is really where they're stuck. And I'm hoping that after 2020, that that just really kills the whole what's going to happen next year conversation because we have no idea. (laughs) Yeah, well, and my view is, you know, with COVID, it's a lesson of needing to focus on your customer even more because to the degree that you were complacent, and I think this is an, always a mistake to think, oh, we know our customer, we understand our customer. I think it's always a mistake, but never is it more provable than now that whatever you thought you knew has probably changed. So you better go out and figure out what your customer needs because it's not the same customer as 12 months ago. 
Absolutely. One of the things that we've seen this year is that the CX profession and the CX folks are really sort of the golden children of the organization, right? Because they've got the answers. They've got the customer insights. And that's what executives want to know. Why are they hoarding toilet paper? What's going on? What are their needs? And what can we do to keep them coming back? You know, And so that's huge this year. I'm hoping that is one trend that sticks well into the future. Well, I love the sound of that, and I hope that's right. So often I feel like the CX people are more like the Cassandra character in mythology. You know, <laughs> They have that knowledge, but somehow it's hard to get anyone to take action on it. Yeah, agreed. Well, one of the things that I know we wanted to focus on today is the topic of customer journey mapping, an area where I know you are a deep expert. And in fact, you've published a six-step process for customer journey mapping. For my own experience, we use customer journey mapping a lot. And of course, there are you know many practices and different ways of approaching it. Oftentimes, we'll come into a company and be shown supposed customer journey maps, which are really only very high level descriptions of maybe just key buying life cycle stages, which is good to do, good to have that, but very high level. And in fact, what I've seen is that really getting clear on what the detailed customer experience is today, and then being able to articulate a really true, specific, clear vision of what that experience should be in the future, how customers should move between different channels, how content is going to help bring them into one place and send them someplace else, and what's going to happen as they go from the process of evaluating, considering purchase to purchasing to post-purchase, isn't that the heart of your business, right? Being clear on that. So I feel like this is a blueprint for business more so than a budget or more so than a business strategy that says our goal is to expand into this, you know, geography. But I mean, those are all good too, but like, this is like the how. So I'm, I'm a huge believer in it. I know you're a deep expert in it. So I'm really looking forward to just spending some time letting everyone hear from you. What are the steps to follow? And really even what is it like, maybe I'll start with this question before we even get into the steps. If someone's listening and they're thinking, well, you know, I've been shown something that had the words customer journey map at the top of it. I've handed a deck that has the words customer journey map in the title. How can I even know whether what I'm looking at really is what you're talking about when we talk about a customer journey map or just someone using a buzzword? Yeah, and I think what you said at the beginning of that sort of section there is so true. It's we, what we see is life cycle stages with touch points, mm-hmm. maybe. Maybe. <laughs> and most of the time, what people are doing is touchpoint mapping to some degree. Touchpoint mapping is actually really capturing and inventorying all of the touchpoints, all the ways that you touch the customer and the customer touches you, the brand, in each of those life cycle stages. And it's pretty detailed, right? Touchpoints are things that a lot of companies don't even think about when they think about the customer experience. And some of them are outside of our control, parking and traffic and you know all of these kinds of things, signage and advertising and the messaging that you put out. there and and the messaging that other people put out there about you and industry reports, you know, all of those kinds of things are touch points. So good to capture that. It's a great place to start. It's really important for companies to understand how much and how often and how frequently and how overlapping some of these touch points are. But if you want to know if you're truly journey mapping, then there are three main components of that map what the customer is doing, what the customer is thinking, and what the customer is feeling. And if the map doesn't have those things, then you're not journey mapping. It's really important that you capture those things because if you're just doing a touchpoint map, it doesn't capture any of those things, right? It, it captures touchpoints and that's it. When we talk about journey mapping and you say what the customer is doing, what they are thinking, it sounds like you're describing sort of the current journey mapping. Can you just maybe give your point of view on journey mapping as a tool to document what is and how that contrasts to journey mapping as a tool to document a potential future? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have to start with the current state. We have to start with, I I like to say, you can't transform something you don't understand. You want to map the current state first because you want to understand what's going well and what isn't for two reasons. Number one, you want to keep doing the things that are going well. Number two, it takes a really long time. I think everybody knows this. It's a heavy lift to redesign an experience. And so we do current state first so we can at least do some of those, I'll call them tactical fixes, but fix some of the little things that are happening right now to sort of bandage the experience along until you can side by side, right in parallel, you're redesigning the experience and there will be a new experience coming along, but you've got to stop the bleeding, (laughs) so to speak now. But at the same time, you've got to be planning and designing that future state experience. So that's why you've got to have that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's dive in. Uh, If you could just walk us through the six steps and I'm sure I'll have some questions along the way, but let me just let you walk everyone through. Where do you start? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's plan to fail or fail to plan, fail, plan, plan, fail. How does that go? Yes. <laughs> so step number one is plan, right? So fail to plan, you will fail. And this is a, this is a really important step for a lot of reasons. So this is where we start talking about why we're doing this, right? What are the objectives? What are our desired outcomes? Do we have budget? This is an important one. Do we actually have the budget to fix the things that we're going to find when we've completed the map? We're going to talk about the personas, that we'll be mapping for. We're going to talk about the scope of the map. You can have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of journey maps. Let's define the scope of this map. Some clear point A to point B that we're going to map. And that's part of this whole planning process. Can you give an example of what you mean by that? Like what would be an example scope? I always like to use the example of a customer service call, right? That just, everybody can relate to that. Point A would be what was happening that led the customer to have to go find help, right? So we start there and then point B is problem solved. They got help, however it was, whether it was through the website, the chat bot, the phone call, whatever it was, point B is they got help, problem solved. So that's a very clear point A to point B scope. Got it. So you might define one scope like that, or you might define a few scopes. But part of what I hear you saying is you don't have to start by saying we have to map every aspect of the journey for every single customer. It's okay to say, hey, I can apply this to a particular problem area. Exactly. Exactly. And as a matter of fact, you know, I'm often asked, where do I start? What maps should I start with? And, yeah, yeah. Or what journeys should I start with? Right. And it's typically, you know, low hanging fruit. They're known pain points, right? You're not going to go and start mapping. The purchase process is going smoothly and people love it and blah, blah, blah. You know, you're not going to start there. You're going to go to where, you know, the real pain and the leakage is happening, right? That's where you've got to start. So I think that's a really important consideration because people sometimes want to <laughs> finger in the wind and say, hey, let's start here, you know, but no, there is some real sort of method to the madness there. Mm -hmm. So you were talking about plan, Um, any other key components to planning? Yes. So you're also going to, this is really important, identify who's going to be in the workshop. This is the important thing about journey mapping. It's with customers from the customer perspective. That's the other way that you know that your journey mapping is when you're doing it with customers and from their perspective. So we want to identify who's going to be in the workshop, customers and stakeholders. Stakeholders, this is a really important consideration because going back to the customer service example, I'll just say, you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, we'll just have a customer service executives in the room observing the workshop or 
here we are virtually on a Zoom call, whatever, however we do it virtually observing. But the problem is, is that you need to have a lot more stakeholders and people typically don't do that. I love to use the example of customer service because this is where we can say that we need to have marketing folks in the room. We need to have sales folks. We need to have product. We need to have product marketing. We might have some accounting folks in there, depending on what issue or what led to the journey that we're mapping, right? And the reason that we do that is so that they can hear what's happening. They can hear the pain points. They can see, oh my gosh, here we are. We've created this thing upstream that is causing all these problems and volumes of calls coming into the call center or to the contact center. However, you know, customers contact the brand. If we fix it upstream, we can mitigate all of that and reduce call volume, save money, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So I think that's a really important consideration is having the right people in the room from your brand. And then the customers are going to be representative of the personas that you've selected to map for. Right. Now you mentioned workshops, so I don't want to get ahead of your process. So we can wait on this if it comes later, but I'd love to understand because I think there are some people who use a customer journey mapping approach, which is almost all done in workshops. Yep. There are others that don't use workshops. They do customer journey mappings other ways. And obviously there are some approaches that use some combinations. So I'm curious, do you have a preferred ratio and what are the pros and cons of workshops as a tool in the broader customer journey mapping process? That's a good segue from step one to step two. The last thing that I was going to mention in step one is we may be doing customer interviews in step one as well. And sometimes some folks use those customer interviews to create their maps, but you have to, again, the, the interviews have to be done properly so that you can create the maps from what the customers have told you. I prefer workshops because I think it's so much more impactful to have, again, having those stakeholders listening to your customers and hearing them. Because typically in the workshop, what we'll do is we'll map what the customer is doing, thinking, feeling, we'll capture other things. We might capture channels, we might capture a timeline. We, there, there are a lot of other things that you can capture on the map itself. And for the stakeholders to sit in the room and see that is really where the rubber meets the road, right? I have been in so many workshops where folks just sit there and go, wow, we make our customers do that? What? I, like, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard that, right? I've seen CEOs sit in and automatically give their CMO or their CX folks the green light to move forward with, yes, whatever you need to do, let's do it, let's fix right. this. Yeah. I can't I've listen seen... to this anymore. Sometimes I think, you know that old movie, A Clockwork Orange? Yeah. You make the guy sit there with the things holding his eyes open, you know, when they make him watch. I can't even remember what they're making him watch. Violent, <laughs> I think, to make him, but it's like, make someone see it, put their, and then all of a sudden, it's amazing how you can change their perception. Absolutely. It's insane. You know, I, I love to tell this story about, I have several clients actually in the construction industry, but pardon the gender or whatever, but this is a manly man. Obviously, There's women in, in this industry too, but this is a manly man industry. And it just so happens to be that every time we mapped, we mapped with customers of theirs, they were all men in the room. And my client contact was a guy. I'm telling him, here's how we're going to map. We're going to map what the customer is doing, thinking, and feeling. And as soon as I said feeling, he was like, oh, now we don't, <laughs> we don't do emotions around here. Right. And I made them do feeling in pink post-it notes, but as soon as they saw what their customers wrote on those pink post-it notes, it was like, they make us feel like they don't care. It's frustrating. It's hopeless. It's this is, I mean, words like that, that are just so powerful for these folks to hear straight from their customers. Right. So that's why I love to do workshops, both either virtually or in person, it's same impact. That makes great sense. And I agree, getting that voice of the customer in there is super valuable. So what's step two? 
So have some more questions. Two, I'm guessing they're coming. Yeah. So step two is that workshop. Um, mm -hmm. so we're going to be doing that mapping. We're going to also, one of the things that we're going to do during that workshop too, is we're going to ask customers. And, and by the way, in the plan portion of this, in step one, we do prep workshops, right? Or prep sessions with the customers and with the stakeholders so that they know what to expect when we do the actual workshop. And during that time, I will ask them to bring artifacts, whether it's pictures or invoices, screenshots, contracts, whatever it is, bring them so that we can incorporate them into the map um, going forward. So during the workshop, it's all about the customer. At the end of the workshop, we'll have the customer do a readout and really just take the time to tell their story. And, and again, that's just so powerful for them to do. And we'll do sort of a preliminary um, identification of moments of truth, which leads into step number three, which is identify. And identify is really about identifying those moments of truth. Um, moments of truth aren't technically identified by the map. They're identified by the data that we bring into the map. And I'm a huge advocate, a huge proponent of you've got to bring data into the map. So that also means at the end of step two, we're going to digitize after the workshop is done, or we can do it during the workshop, but we're going to digitize those maps so that we can bring data into them and connect them with our VOC data, some of our CRM data, maybe even some, you know, financial metrics and those kinds of things to really bring the map to life so that we can analyze, so we can prioritize and, and, and to identify those key moments of truth. I want to talk definitely about that. But before we leave step two of the workshop, can you give the listeners a little more the logistics of it? Like roughly how long are the workshops you do? Roughly how many people participate and anything else about actually setting up and running those workshops? That's a great question. So length is going to vary. I, I usually set aside four hours and say we can do two maps within those four hours. And what I'll basically do, and I'll just talk about being in a room doing this, right? Because this is a little more difficult when you're virtual. But when you're in a room, I've got on the you know right wall, I've got one persona mapping over there. And on the left wall, I've got another persona mapping over there. So that's how we'll complete two maps within those four hours. And it's typically six to eight people from each persona. You know, ultimately you could have, if you're doing two maps, two different personas, you could have up to 16 people in the room. From the stakeholder side, I always say have fewer stakeholders than you have customers. You don't want it to feel it's about us. These can be recorded, right? So that's the beauty of it. So say definitely record it so that you can take them back and share with anybody else who, who needs to see this workshop. So we bring in all the supplies, the butcher paper, the post-it notes, the Sharpies, all of that. We bring in snacks. We take a break here and there, but we typically start with introductions and laying the foundation, the rules and the rules of engagement and all of that. Mm -hmm. And then we dive in and we get started. And on the B2B side, when I'm mapping with B2B and, and we're in person, I like to do it in the afternoon because then we're done like at 5, 5.30. And then we go and we have a little happy hour to just, it just brings everybody together and we can talk about what we just did and, and how fun it was, or we can talk about other things. It doesn't matter, but that's always been a fun way to wrap up some of the the B2B workshops for sure. Yeah, that makes great sense. And how do you find the customers and how do you select the customers that you want to participate? So again, personas, that's where we start, right? We start with the personas and the client will identify customers who are personas. Now on the B2B side, a lot of times what we'll do is we use them also as sort of relationship building tools so that, you know, the client says, well, I've got these accounts where I know that we're having some issues mm -hmm. and let's go and do some journey mapping 
it's really going to help because if we solve the issues here with these with this account, we're going to solve it for a lot of other people as well. And that's what I've seen happen. I've seen some really interesting new processes and new ideas come along that have really redesigned the experience then ultimately for everybody. It's a relationship building session for a particular account, but ultimately it helps it helps everybody in the end once they redesign the experience. You know, I'm, I'm torn because I have more to ask about workshops, but I know we have four more parts to go through. So we better, we better move forward. Um, okay. I'm sure there's more in your book on this topic than we have time to get Absolutely. to here. Um, so let's let's talk about step three, which I think you said was about the moments of truth and the analysis. Yep. I think we pretty much talked a lot about that one. It is about identifying the moments of truth. It's about conducting root cause analysis to identify really what is happening here. Why are we seeing what's breaking down and, and how do we fix it? Because again, remember here we are in the current state still, and we want to fix some of those sort of immediate tactical things that we can fix. So it's about identifying the root cause of the issues and identi then identifying and assigning owners and deadlines to get those um, implemented. And I think that's a really important part of this too is that, you know, the maps aren't just pretty pictures on the wall. And if we don't go through these steps, the maps can't become the catalyst for change that they're really meant to be. So in step three, it's all about bringing in data and identifying key moments of truth, root cause, and then assigning owners to get stuff done. Yeah. So a couple questions about that. I think most people have probably heard this phrase thrown around, moments of truth. But I wonder, not everyone may have the same sense of what does that really mean? What's your definition of a moment of truth? And how do you know one when you see one? So for me, the, the definition of moment of truth is that make or break moment in the experience where the customer pauses for a moment and says, okay, if this goes really well, I'm going to continue, whether it's continued this interaction the relationship, whatever it is. And if they make a mess of this moment, I'm done, right? I'm done with this interaction. I'm done with the relationship, whatever. So for me, that's that's it. And that's why we identified leakage points also on the map. And that's done, not necessarily with the customer, but when we bring the data in, we identified leakage points. So that's where we're really going to find also those moments of truth. From the customer's perspective, in the workshops, what we ask them to do is to highlight the pain points in the journey that they've just mapped and also things that are going well. And so we'll have green dots and red dots to represent you know, the good and the bad. So we'll take what they've identified identified as the bad and really in third step in identify, really dig in and find out what is going on there. Why is it so painful for them? Makes sense. When you talked about doing root cause analysis, that seems really critical. You know, if you want to fix something instead of just wallow in it. Oh yeah. <laughs> what is common root causes and how do you figure that out? You know, you know, there's this problem customers waiting in line for too long or whatever. What are the common root causes of the types of customer points of pain you find? And what is the process to actually figure out what those are? Yeah, well, you know, it varies. It really varies because it depends on what the pain point is. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the bigger part of that question too is how do you discover it? So I, I like to use the five whys to do the root cause analysis, but I also like to do, and this will take us into step four, which is introspect. And that is all about service blueprinting. And this is all about, getting to the root cause. Like I always say for, for service blueprints, you can't fix what's happening on the outside if you don't fix what's happening on the inside. And that's what service blueprint is all about. It's about the people, the tools, the systems, the processes, the policies, the workflow happening behind the scenes that's creating and supporting the experience that the customer is having. So that's a really critical part of getting to the heart of the matter, getting to the root of the matter. Service blueprints are built with stakeholders. There, it's not an external exercise. It's purely an internal exercise where we bring together a group of employees who 
are critical to execution of the experience that we've just mapped with customers and ask them to tell us people, tools, systems, processes, the whole nine yards and tell us where it's breaking down for them. Because I think what ends up happening is, you know, it's it's this employee experience drives customer experience connection here. And it's really highlighted when we do this service blueprint, because what they'll tell us is, you know, we don't have the tools, the policies are broken, the processes are outdated, you know, those kinds of things. And then we really start to get at the root of what's happening. For anyone who's similarly maybe heard this phrase thrown around service blueprinting, but it's still a little murky for them, what would be a good definition of it? And like, how do I, if I were to take something that says service blueprint on the cover and open it up, what would I see inside? What is it just for people who might not be using that terminology in their day to day? all related to the journey map, right? So when we talk about journey mapping, we're looking, uh, let's just say this is the fold. <laughs> we're looking above the fold. What's happening, uh, a lot of people refer to it as on stage. So on stage, anything that the customer sees, interacts with, you know, the people, the documents, the website, whatever it is, right? The service blueprint goes below the fold and anything that's happening behind the scenes, again, the people, the tools, the systems, processes, policies behind the scenes that's creating and facilitating. And so it's sort of this surface to core <laughs> look at what's happening within the organization. And the way that it actually looks is, so we take, remember I said in a journey map, we map what the customer is doing, thinking, feeling, and then all these other things we might capture as well. We take what the customer is doing as sort of the starting point for the service blueprint. And then we go behind the scenes and the swim lanes in a service blueprint are exactly that. People, tools, systems, processes, policies, and it's really a workflow. It can be post-its, but it's also gonna be arrows because it's gonna be, hey, well, this person did this and used this system and sent that and did all that. So it really looks more like a process map which journey mapping 110% is not, but the, but the service blueprint will look more like a process map than, than uh, a journey map ever will. And if you found when you do that, I wonder if you have any stories about like, I know I've found sometimes you think it's problem A, but when you actually look into it, it's, it's a different swim lane than the one that you thought. And any examples like that you can share? Oh, gosh. <laughs> but it does happen more often than you care to think right, about. Right, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that was step four, service blueprinting. What, what comes after that? So step five is a fun step actually in this process, and it is ideate. Ideate is all about, you know, so now, as I said, you know, we focused on sort of fixing things that are happening in the moment or doing sort of those tactical fixes. Ideate is where we are designing the future state. We're, again, workshops with customers, we're going to design, we have to co-create with customers. If we don't, then we're doing it all wrong, right? So it's ideation sessions. These are fun because we get to just sort of throw up ideas, whatever sticks, you know, we're going to throw it up. And it really is about the customers telling us, and I, and I often say to them, you know, pie in the sky, unicorns, butterflies, rainbows, whatever. Tell us what does the ideal experience look like for you? What would you like to see? And here's the cool thing. Very rarely do they go crazy on the employee side. So by the way, everything we've talked about here applies to employees and, and the employee experience too. Um, on the employee side, they will go a little crazy <laughs> during these sessions, but customers for the most part are really just asking for things to be done right and easier and simpler and more convenient and and not so convoluted sometimes, right? And, and we set them up so that when, when we say, you know, listen, we're here to just collect, we're looking for a volume of ideas, right? Good, bad, indifferent, ugly, crazy, whatever it is. But it's nice to hear what they have to say. And we set that up to say, you know what? We're not going to be able to do everything that you that you <laughs> tell right. us you want, but there may be some things that, well, there will be some things obviously that we'll pull from that, that we'll do. 
but there may be, even from the craziest ideas, there may be some things that we can even do sort of to just fold some of that, a piece of that into how we design. So we start with that. We start with an ideation session to capture ideas. We go through a couple of iterations to group the themes and then have them vote on them and prioritize. So mm -hmm. ultimately we come out of there with an idea of what their ideal experience would look like. And then we also ask them to map it. So there's a future state map that also is created as a result of that ideation session. So now they take that same. So if we go back to the customer service experience, so now we take that same experience and we say, okay, what would this ideally look like? What would you want to see going forward? How would this go? How would this play out going forward? That's the future state. And again, it has to be done with customers. We need to co-create with our customers. Absolutely. Yes. And then uh, let's round the bend. Step, step six is your <laughs> well, body, right? Once you've done all this, you just sit back and enjoy the fruits of your labor. Exactly, right? <laughs> step six is probably one of the most important steps in this, right? I always say nothing changes and nothing changes. Step six is all about implementing. So now you've designed, right? In step five, you've designed the future state. Now you've actually got to go and implement it. And this is where the where the hard work really begins. And this is where um, it often takes time to do that. But once we do that, we actually need to do this iteratively with customers too. So once we think we've redesigned the process, we've got a prototype or we've got something out there that we think will be the process. Now we need to go and test it with customers. And if they tell us it's still broken, or if they tell us a piece of it is still broken, we need to go back fix it. So it's an iterative process at this point too. And then ultimately when we get feedback saying, yeah, this is awesome. Then we go and we launch it. And once we roll it out, then we have to let employees know, train employees on all the new processes. And hopefully the employees have been brought along and, and kept in the loop on all of this as we go. We need to close the loop with customers, set their expectations, let them know what the new experience is. And the last step is also to make sure your maps are always updated so that they always reflect the most current state too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't agree with all that more. You can really see as you listen to, you go through all six steps, how the customer is the common theme. You know, you start with planning the personas and then you're working with the customer nearly every step through, even when you're not working with the customer, it's because you're trying to find the root causes behind, you know, exactly. working from the customer. So yes, absolutely. Well, um, this is really awesome content. And uh, of course, I want to encourage everyone to grab your book, Customer Understanding, Three Ways to Put the Customer in Customer Experience and at the Heart of Your Business. Annette, anything you want people to know about how they can find you or contact you or, or learn more about all the great stuff you do? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, my website is cx-journey.com. Lots of uh, great content there, new blog posts every week. Connect with me on LinkedIn. I love connecting with people, meeting new people in this space and not in this space who want to learn about this thing called CX, you know? Um, so feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to, uh, like I said, meet new folks there. Right on. And the Customer Experience Professionals Association that you're on the board of, some might be interested in that. What is that? Who's it for? Is it only for like a hardcore CX professional or for someone who's in marketing or some other area? Like, like what's the right target for that? And, and what do members get? That's a great question. And thank you for asking that. It is, we're just about next year will be our 10 year anniversary for the association. It's for the CX professional, right? You don't have to be a hardcore if you're thinking about going into the profession, if you are in the profession, if you are 20 years in, or if you're, you know, just brand new and just looking for your peeps <laughs> is what I call them. Your peeps. This is where you can find your peeps. Membership is, you know, it's $225 a year and we have huge annual membership event 
um, which got unfortunately got canceled this year and hopefully won't get canceled next year. But we'll, we do virtual events um, to make up for that. But we also have local networks. So there's networks in your city where other CX professionals gather once a month, once a quarter, whatever it is to just share stories. We have a great discussion forum where people every day are posting questions and answers about things that, you know, CX professionals are dealing with every day. And it's such a giving and such a sharing community. It's amazing. And it's, you know, it is a newish profession, but um, people just uh, encounter new things every day. And members are so happy to help each other. Like I said, it's your peeps and it's, you know, it's great to be able to be among folks who are experiencing the same challenges as you are. And like I said, if you're new and, or want to get in the profession, great place to learn about the job as well. Great. And they can find that on your website as well. Links off to that. Yes, there is a link to that as well. If not, go to cxpa.org and you'll find all the information there. Awesome. All right. Well, a lot of cool stuff. Thanks for joining us so much, Annette. Really appreciate it. Thanks to everyone for listening to this podcast. And uh, as always, you can find all of our other podcasts uh, wherever podcasts are found on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere anywhere else you like to go. So check out all the other uh, great ones we've done. And we have some other cool ones coming up as well. So be sure that you subscribe. Thanks everyone for listening. Have an awesome day.